This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Every year at Christian Chapel in January, we talk about what it means to be a kingdom builder. And so when we're talking about the kingdom, obviously we're talking about the kingdom of God, right? That everywhere his spirit is active, everywhere that people are being drawn to Jesus, every place in all creation in one essence or another is part of God's kingdom. And what we want to do as the people of God is help everyone everywhere understand that they have a unique place in God's kingdom. They are designed to be known by God, to be loved by God, to know that they are his sons and his daughters, to take their place as full citizens and participants in his kingdom and to share that good news with everyone that they come in contact with. And so every January, we start off by talking about you know, what it means to be a kingdom builder and challenging ourselves to make sure that in the list, not so much apparently in the, the 1045, but for other people to make sure the top of your resolution list, which you all don't have one, so I'm going to give you the number one thing. Your number one resolution this year is to be a kingdom builder. Everything else you do with every other goal, every other dream, every other hope, everything that you think or or want to happen, at the top of that is I want to be a kingdom builder. I want to invest my time, my energy, my resources, my talents, my relationships in ways that build the kingdom of God in me and build the kingdom of God through me. And so this year, we're going to take a, a little different look, and we're going to talk specifically about how to be a kingdom builder. And so over the next four, five, six-ish weeks, we'll explore what it takes from us individually to be kingdom builders. We'll start today by talking about how we have to build the kingdom from generation to generation if we're going to be a kingdom builder. That, That those of us who are in an older generation have a responsibility to take what we've received from preceding generations to embrace it and to share it with those coming behind us. The next three weeks, or four weeks actually, I'm really excited. Uh, Each week, I'm going to have a a different person who will be here and will team teach with me for part of our our messages about how to be a kingdom builder. So the the next three weeks, you're going to hear from three of the most influential men in my life who have taught me what it means to be a kingdom builder. So next week, my old youth pastor, Billy Seymour, is going to be here. Billy's a, a pastor in Manhattan, Kansas, and he is a just a wild Cajun from South Louisiana uh, who has somehow now spent most of his life in Kansas. But Billy was my youth pastor in Topeka, Kansas when I was growing up, and Billy taught me more than anyone in life, if you want to be a kingdom builder, you better be passionate about the kingdom that this is not a place to just kind of perform religious duties. And so Billy's going to come next week and share those ideas with us and, and teach that, that idea with me. I'm really, really looking forward to it. The week after that, you're going to hear from one of our former pastors at Christian Chapel, Greg Davis. Greg is the pastor who hired me at Christian Chapel, and Greg is going to teach with me about how if you want to be a kingdom builder, you have to love people. You, you have to love people more than programs because the kingdom is people. The kingdom is welcoming others into it. So Greg's going to help me with those ideas. And then the the week after that, um, I've actually invited my dad to come. My dad lives in Florida. And my dad taught me more than anyone, if you want to build the kingdom, you better work hard. Um, Some of you had dads who patted you on the back. I had a dad who kicked me in the pants. And it was was needed and it was necessary. Uh, But what he instilled in me from a, a very young age uh, was not just the idea of no son of mine will be lazy, although that was a, that was a recurring slogan around the house, uh, but, but an even, deep, even deeper meaning of if the kingdom of God is really as important as we think it is, 
then it deserves our best effort all of the time. And so we're going to give all of our time, all of our energy, and our best uh, ability to work in those areas. And, and so he's going to help me teach those ideas. And then the, the last Sunday in January, we'll hear from one of our Christian chapel families who are answering God's call to go plant churches among an unreached people group. And they'll teach us that if we want to be a kingdom builder, we've got to be willing to surrender our plans to God's plans. And we've got to lay down our kingdom to participate in his kingdom. So it's going to be a really fun month, going to feel a little different each Sunday, but I hope you'll be here and, and enjoy that with me. Today, though, we are going to start in Psalm 145 and talk about what it means to be a kingdom builder and how we build the kingdom from generation to generation. Psalm 145 is written by David. David was one of the kings of Israel, uh, the, the preeminent king in, in many ways. And David was also a psalmist. And so he wrote a lot of the Psalms. He, they are, they're just a wonderful expression. At times he's lamenting and asking God to crush his enemies. At times he's declaring the glory and the power of God. And then other times he's teaching us about the kingdom and how we participate in it. And so in Psalm 145, it's one of these that describes the way the kingdom functions and the way the kingdom is passed from one generation to another. So I'm going to read the whole thing. It's a, a little bit longer, but um, I think it's always best just to read it in context and then we'll come back and we'll work our way through it. So Psalm 145, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be here on the screens for you. It begins, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord, is the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to those who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Now, if we're asking the question from Psalm 145, what does it mean to be a kingdom builder? Then we're just going to kind of work our way through and, and figure that out from what David is teaching us here. The first thing David teaches us is that kingdom builders live with kingdom perspective. He reminds us that our primary purpose in life is to take our place under the authority of God. The kingdom of God is not fully realized for you personally until you surrender to his authority. 
And when you surrender to his authority, David shows us, it does not result in some kind of half-hearted, begrudging surrender, but it is a joy-filled experience to finally know where you were created to belong, to experience it, and that will then overflow in praise. He says in verse 1 and 2, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you. Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. What David's telling us is your primary purpose in life is not to build your kingdom, to build your fame, or to make sure your name is known. Now, again, remember who's writing this. This is David who sits on the throne of Israel. This is David who, no offense to any of us, but he's done a lot more than any of us have ever done, right? He has, when he walks through towns, they sing songs about his victory. He's the one who killed Goliath. He's the one that God said, you will sit on the throne, you'll have a descendant sit on the throne of Israel forever. If there was ever anyone who was confident that his name would last, it was David. And yet David understands it's not about me and my story, it's about God and his story. And so he knows to live with a kingdom perspective is to embrace a lifestyle of praise, where God's goodness and grace are constantly overflowing out of David's heart, out of his mind, into his words, and into the world around him. So if you and I are, are serious about, I want to be a kingdom builder, I want to participate in what God is doing, then it means we too have to adopt a lifestyle of praise. Now, now that means we have to shift our thinking from I will talk about the goodness of God when he does good things for me to I will talk about the goodness of God no matter what is going on in me or around me. David begins to paint a picture for us of I will sing the Lord's praises. I will extol them forever and ever because God's greatness is so deep that no one can fathom it. So as we start a new year, it's, it's an easy time for us to look back at 2021, to look forward to 2022. For some of us, 2021 was filled with a lot of great moments. But I would say for almost all of us, 2021 probably had some moments that we're glad are behind us and that we hope never happen again. And as we look towards 2022, you might, I mean, we're two days in. Some of you have already broken the resolution you didn't make to not complain anymore. Right? Because there's already, anyone already been annoyed in 2022? Yep, anyone lost their temper yet in 2022? Been frustrated, been aggravated? Anybody in the car on the way to church? You don't have to look at them, but you're like, you did, right? We've, we've all been there. Yeah, exactly. We've all been there. And in those spaces, it's easy to think, well, I can't praise the Lord. Right? Like, we'll let, we'll let Lauren and Mark and Taylor, we'll let the band, like, clearly they you know, you know the difference between them and you? They come so early, their families can't ride with them. That's why they're in such a good mood on Sunday mornings, right? That's why Angie and I, we started driving separate early on in ministry of like, we, we both are full of the Holy Spirit when we haven't been around each other and we've just been by ourselves. Why? Because other people always kind of expose our weakness and they show us. And, and then we start to believe this lie. Well, I, I can't praise God in church. I can't praise God at work. I can't praise God in school because I'm aggravated. I'm annoyed because things aren't going well. But what David is trying to teach us is when you live with the kingdom perspective, the goodness and the glory of God always supersede your circumstances. So no matter what you're going through, God is holy and righteous. He is just and merciful. He is your God who provides, your God who saves, your God who delivers. He is the God who speaks your name and directs your steps. No matter where you are or what you're going through, to be a kingdom builder is to live with the kingdom perspective, which means you will be a person of praise. 
And so in 2022, one of the changes that, that I'm trying to adopt, that I would invite you to adopt with me, is to let the goodness of God settle in my mind and heart and then come out of my mouth regardless of what's going on around me. Regardless of whether I feel like it or not, regardless of whether all of my boxes have been checked for the things that God wants me to do, none of that matters. What matters is who God is and what God does. And in Psalm 145, and if, if you're thinking, I don't know how to describe the goodness of God, start in Psalm 145, read through the rest of the Psalms. David, he does a wonderful job of painting these grand pictures of who God is and how we should respond in worship to him. But the first thing we have to understand is to be a kingdom builder is to live with the kingdom perspective, that it's about his kingdom, not mine. And his kingdom, it's always worth my praise. And if you still think, yeah, that's great, I don't know how to do that. Well, David begins to tell us as we work our way through Psalm 145 that you weren't meant to know how to do that on your own. So, so if you're in a spot where you think, well, life is terrible and I don't know why I would praise God or I don't know how to praise God or I'm new to this whole following Jesus thing, I really don't understand much of what's being said at all, then the good news for you is God has put people in your life who have went before you. They have been where you are, and you can learn from their stories how to glorify God, how to praise Him, and how to build His kingdom right where you are. So as you keep reading through Psalm 145, we find David teaching us that we have to embrace a multi-generational kingdom. He says, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. So David reminds us that the, the kingdom of God is a multi-generational kingdom that's handed down from one generation to another. And so, so first, let's, let's talk a little bit about what that means to be the recipient of those who've gone before us. It means there is not a single person in the room, online, anywhere in the world following Jesus that got there on their own. We all follow Jesus because of the work of someone who went before us. Sometimes we know their names and we can, we can tell others how they had an impact on us. And that's, that's part of what we're doing this month at Christian Chapel. I'm sharing with you the people that God put in my life that helped me understand what his kingdom looks like and how I'm supposed to participate in it. Tonight in your home groups, you'll have an opportunity to talk with each other about who are the people that have influenced you. And, and as we do that, you'll start to tell the stories of maybe it was your mom, your dad, it was a grandparent, maybe it was an aunt or an uncle. Maybe you come from a family that there was no relationship with Jesus at all, but there was a classmate who invited you to go to church, or there was a neighbor who reached out to you. Maybe it was a roommate in college. Maybe it was after you were married and your spouse fell in love with Jesus and then invited you in. Maybe it was a, a coworker or a classmate. I don't know who, I don't know where, but I know we all have someone else in our story that helped us experience Jesus. And one of the, the great parts of the kingdom is being aware of that and living with an appreciation for it. Right? And occasionally stopping to thank those who've gone before us for their investment in us, to let them see it really did make a difference. It really does work. But as you start to think about it a little bit more, what you'll, what you'll begin to understand is those people who influenced you, there were a whole pile of people who influenced them as well. Right? And eventually you get to the point where you can't name all the people or all the places that they came from. All you know is that from the day of Christ's resurrection until today, there has been a consistent generation after generation after generation of people who have heard the gospel, embraced the gospel, and shared the gospel. And you and I are here today because of them. At Christian Chapel specifically, we're in this room this morning because of people who have gone before us. 
Christian Chapel was started in 1974 by Jonathan Wakefield and his wife with one other couple in an apartment over near 61st in Peoria. Four people in 1974. In 1974, I don't know how old you were, I was negative eight. So not on anybody's radar. My parents were still in high school, and yet their commitment to we want to start a spirit-empowered church in South Tulsa, I'm a recipient of today. They didn't know me. I wasn't on their radar. They didn't know you. I know there's a handful of people at Christian Chapel who were part of some of those founding members there in the, the mid-70s to late 70s. And, and they, I mean, they met in every school and office park and business place all over South Tulsa. In 1985, this room that we're sitting in today was built on Easter Sunday, 1985, the first worship service at Christian Chapel was held. How many of you were, were here in 1985? A few, there we go. You weren't here. You were barely alive. So, right? But, but some of us were. And some of you, you participated in that. You gave in that building program. Right? You, you sacrificially served. You were up here hanging wallpaper and painting walls, trying to cut every corner of cost possible so this young congregation could have a permanent home. And now we're here today because of it. Our, our chapel youth, when they meet upstairs in the youth center with Pastor Kareem and Bianca, that was built in 1997 by a group of people who said, we don't want our kids meeting at 81st Memorial next to a nightclub anymore. We think there's a better option for them, right? And so what did they do? They built the building, they moved them in. When you go to an adult class, when your kids go over here, that's the work of a, a building project in 2010. But it's not just buildings that we're the recipients of. We are the recipients of a rich legacy of faith at Christian Chapel. And everything we do today and everything we will do in the future is possible because we stand on the shoulders of our spiritual ancestors who've gone before us. When David says, one generation commends your works to the next, it's, it's not this kind of abstract like, oh, they tell us a cool story every now and then. To share what you have with the generation coming after you means you will be faithful to pray. You will be faithful to serve. You will be faithful to sacrifice. You will be faithful to give. Because you know what God has done in me, I can't help but share with those who are coming after me. I love the, the way David phrases it. He says, one generation will commend to the next. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say one generation will gripe at the next one, that they better hurry up or the church is going to die with them. He doesn't say one generation will tell the next one they better appreciate everything they have because we worked really hard to give it to them. No, he says they're just with open hands, with joy-filled hearts. They're going to tell the stories of what God has done for them to the generation coming after them. So for all of us who are in the room this morning, we are the older generation, with a responsibility to those who are coming behind us. Now, some of us, we have reached a point in life where we have no problem being called the older generation. We know it. We know there aren't a lot of people older than us, so there's not a lot of options left for us. So we'll just, we'll embrace it and we'll walk in at others. Though, I mean, you might be in seventh or eighth grade and you're like, I'm not old. And you're not, but there's people younger than you. Right? And so, so like I've, I've got three teenagers, and, and we see teenagers serving in chapel kids all over the church. And, and here's what I've noticed, especially the last couple years. Um, so like our, our preschool classes over here, we've got some 7th and 8th graders. who so They'll go in on a Sunday morning, and they'll be the assistant in that class. If I walk down the hallway, and there's a little group of preschoolers, they don't really pay attention to me. Right? From a 5-year-old perspective, I might as well be 90. Like I'm older than all their parents. 
They don't, there's nothing, there is no like, oh, we should talk to that guy. But if one of our seventh or eighth graders who serves in their classroom walks down the hallway, those kids, it's like moths to a flame, right? Like they just run after them. Like my, my middle son, his name's Corbin. And there, there's a little guy over here who just loves Corbin, but he calls him Organ. And so if he sees him walking down the hall, every time he sees him, he yells, Organ! And he runs to him and gives him a big hug. And I walk by and there's, there's no response at all, right? What, so what does that mean? It means for, for a seventh or eighth grader, there's a responsibility that comes with that recognition of you're not just the one who I'm going to receive from everyone older than me, but now you have a job to share with those who are coming behind you as well. Right, our high schoolers, our college students, our young adults, it, there's always someone, and it's not always someone younger than you in age, sometimes it's just someone younger than you in faith. Of If you follow Jesus 10 years and there's somebody 20 years older than you who's new to faith, you have stories to pass on to them. And I just, again, David, he's not guilting us into this. Like all of Psalm 145 is a celebration of the goodness and the power and the glory of God. And so he very much approaches it from the standard of, I can't help but share what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've experienced. And so for those of us who would say, I know there are younger generations behind me, to embrace a multi-generational view of the kingdom means we're going to start to pray for opportunities to share our stories with those who are going behind us. We're going to look for ways, even if it's inconvenient, even if we don't necessarily like the environment, even if it makes us a little uncomfortable, we are going to know I have a divine responsibility to invest in those who are coming behind me. And God is not waiting for you to graduate high school, to graduate college, to get married, to get a real job, to have kids, to retire, any of the things that you think you have to check before you're considered someone with a story worth telling. He's not waiting for any of that. He says, look, if you have experienced the life-saving power of Jesus Christ and there's someone younger than you in age or in faith, you have a job to tell them about what God has done. And as we begin to pray for this privilege, what you will find is God answers that prayer time and time again couple, I think it was in November, Angie and I went upstairs on a, a Sunday afternoon to the college lunch that Pastor Kareem and Bianca do. And we were up there, and there were about 50 or 60 college students. In fact, we can all see where, they're, where they'll sit when they come back to class, right? Like, just apparently you're all scared of it. It's okay. You can sit there too. It'll make you feel younger. Um, so, so, so they're all there, and, and we go upstairs, and that youth center lounge, it was, it was crammed full, 50, 60 college students that are up there. And uh, for, for all of them, this is just what Christian Chapel looks like. Christian Chapel is a place where there's a bunch of college students, and we love it, and we have fun, and people love us, and they welcome us. Uh, for those of us who've been here a minute, we know that's not what Christian Chapel has always looked like. And so we, we had lunch with them, we were hanging out, and we got ready to leave, and Cream said, hey, uh, Chris, do you want to say anything to them? And I, I hadn't planned on it, but just in that moment, I felt like God said, you need to tell them they're an answer to prayer. And so I got up and I told him, like, hey, guys, listen, I know you think this is what Christian chapels always look like, but I remember times where we were just as a staff, as a board, as leaders at Christian Chapel, pleading with God, help us reach the next generation. God, we're doing good with kids, we're doing good with teenagers, but then there's this gap and there's nobody from 18 to 35 who's around here. So, Lord, will you help us? And we started praying those prayers intentionally about 10 years ago. 
And it was so much fun to see the look on those college students' faces to tell them, when you were 8, 9, and 10 years old, living all over the country, and some of you living all over the world, there was a group of believers at Christian Chapel praying that one day when God led you to school in our city, he would lead you to be part of our community so that we could tell you how good God is, so that we could tell you what he's done for us, so that we could be part of your story and helping you find your place in his kingdom, so that you can then launch out from Tulsa or to all, wherever God takes you. And we'll always have this thing of when I was in college in that community, those people loved me, they invested in me, and my life is better because of it. Part of our job of telling the next generation what God is doing is telling the stories of God's answered prayers that we have prayed for them. So for many of us today, if you, if you think the idea of sharing with a generation coming after you is intimidating or you don't know how to do it, I want to encourage you, just start praying that God will give you the opportunity. Just start praying that he will surround you with people who need to hear what you have to say. And as he does, you'll be able to share that. A couple weeks ago, I had my, my own moments of this. After a Sunday morning, one of our, our members caught me. And she said, do you know why you're our pastor? And I thought, I ask myself that a lot, actually. <laughs> like, sometimes on a daily basis, why am I? No, and I said, well, tell me why. She said, you're our pastor because my mom prayed you into this position. And, and then she, she's told me the story several times. Her mom was, was super sweet. Her mom actually died, I think, about a year before I became the pastor at Christian Chapel. But she told her mom, it was Sherry Decker, her mom's name is Joe Rowland, and Joe was so sweet, so encouraging. When I was a youth pastor, anytime I would preach, she would catch me afterwards, and she would say, Chris, God has his hand on you, and I don't know where he's going to go, but I'm praying you never get to leave here. And she was so sweet and encouraging, and, and I remember that the Sunday that Angie and I were chosen as pastor, Sherry found me, and she said, my mom is laughing today, because she was right, right? And, and, and Sherry, um, what is she doing for me? She's telling me the stories of what God has done. And it's affirming to me that I'm where I'm supposed to be. That me and Angie, my family, we're where we're supposed to be. We're doing what God is supposed to be doing. Never underestimate the value of telling your story. When you tell the story of God's intervention, it's encouraging to those who are coming behind you. Now, now when you're on the receiving end of that, there's an extra step you have to take. Our job is not just to say, that's a nice story, thank you for sharing it with me. But our job is to transition from I'm hearing what you're experiencing to I'm going to experience it for myself. If you want to be a kingdom builder, David goes on to tell us you have to take your place in the kingdom. So as you keep reading in Psalm 145, in verse 5 and 6, he says, They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. I love the, the phrasing there where David's saying, they say this, and then I do that. They say this, and then I say that. And what he's presenting to us is a pattern that we're supposed to adopt in our life of when I hear about the goodness, the glory, and the power of God in someone else's life, my response is not only, that's really cool, but my response is also, God, will you do that for me? And then as he does that for me, I'm going to start telling others about it as well. 
when others tell you about God's grace, his power, his mercy, his intervention, it is not so that you will think they have a neat story or want to be like them. It's because they want you to experience the same things that they have experienced. They want you to know the peace that passes understanding. They want you to know the God of all comfort who comforts us in our sorrows. They want you to know that he is the Lord who provides. They want you to know that he's the one who restores and renews. When I tell my stories and when you tell your stories, the underlying reason is not that people will know us or remember us, but that they will experience Jesus for themselves. And so for some of us, as we start to think about the people who've influenced us, the ones who've invited us, the ones who've discipled us, we begin to realize their underlying goal was not to make disciples of themselves, but to make disciples of Jesus. And so we have to take this element of personal responsibility of, okay, I hear what you're saying, and now I want to experience that. There's a shift from, I hear what God did for others, and now I want him to do it for me. And then as he does it for you, you then begin to shift, and now I want him to do it through me for others as well. Generation to generation to generation, the kingdom is built. And and so what that means is we all have a responsibility because we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. This thing's been going on long before us, and and if Christ doesn't return, it's going to go on long after us. There will be other people who sit in these seats. There will be other people who work in these positions. There will be other people who do all the things that you and I are doing right now. And our job is to do all we can to make sure they experience the fullness of Christ, the power of his Holy Spirit, and have every resource we can equip them with to do kingdom work while we're here with them and after we're gone. David kind of starts to conclude this passage with an encouragement to us of we can be a kingdom builder because God's kingdom will always last and God's kingdom is always good. There's some descriptions in Psalm 145 that you find echoed in other parts of the Old Testament and other parts of the New Testament. So when you think about what's it look like to be a kingdom builder, David helps us understand in verses 8 through 13. He tells us the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. When you're thinking about the kingdom of God, and and it's it's a massively complex topic. What is the kingdom? How do we know we're a part of it? Where do we participate in it? And so I, I love the simplicity here of Psalm 145. The kingdom of God and telling the story of the kingdom of God is basically just telling people the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. It's sharing the good news of God is good to all. And he has compassion on everyone that he has made. Of reminding ourselves that faithful people give their lives to telling the story of God. This is a life-giving kingdom that's been built into us, and it's the kingdom that we now share with those coming after us. David tells us we can build with confidence that this will be a successful kingdom. He says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. I love that promise because there's, there's so much that we're investing ourselves in that we hope will last, but we're not really sure if it will or not. And so, so maybe think of your, your own family. I don't know if you're a, maybe you're an heirloom family. 
Maybe, maybe, you have a, maybe you have something that was passed down from your grandma, your great-grandma, your great-great-grandma. And you've got your little, like, I've got a little collection of pocket knives. I've got a collection of shotguns. My family's very redneck, so this is what we pass down to each other. <laughs> got my grandpa's double barrel. I've got my other grandpa's double barrel. So I'm ready for anyone, right? Uh, but, but I don't know what it is in your family, but there are things that get passed down. And then sometimes it's not possessions. Sometimes maybe, maybe you were fortunate enough that you received an inheritance from a, a, maybe a parent or a grandparent, a great-grandparent. But here's what we know about all the things that are passed down to us is they can all be taken away. And they can all be lost. And so you can give your life right now to, to build the beautiful home, to pay it off, to preserve it, to leave it to your children. You can be financially disciplined and as successful as you want to be and, and leave behind piles of cash and resources for those coming after you. You can be thoughtful in your purchases and buy things that are going to last for generations and leave them to your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And yet, you eventually come to the point where you have to acknowledge, once I'm gone, I don't have any control over any of that. But if you read the stories of, of some of the wealthiest families in America over the past couple centuries, what you quickly discover is even the richest families are one moron away from disaster. Right? It's just all it takes. It's just that one descendant that's like, I have a great idea. And then they waste it all. Right? And our possessions can be lost and our inheritance can be blown. And so what David is trying to assure us of here is if you want to give your life to something that will last, the only certain investment is the kingdom of God. Because his kingdom always endures, and his dominion never ends. And so we can be confident that our investments of our time, our energy, and our resources are always going to matter and always going to last if they are kingdom investments. And we'll talk over the coming weeks of what does it mean to make kingdom investments in your home, in the place that you work, where you go to school. How do I make kingdom investments in my relationships? How do I make kingdom investments with my time and with my resources? We'll hit on all of that and more in the coming weeks. But where I want to leave us today is that we are all called to be part of God's kingdom and to be a kingdom builder. And specifically called to receive from those who've gone before us to embrace it and internalize it, and to share it with those who are coming after us. We're going to finish this morning by receiving communion together. Hopefully you received your, the elements as you came in. If not, they are available at the doors for you, and you can, can jump up and grab one of those real quick. Communion is an opportunity for us to remember what Christ has done. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so communion has three kind of views to it. The first view of communion is we look back on what Jesus has done for us. We hold the bread and the cup in our hands this morning as a reminder that he was the perfect and final sacrifice for our sins. Communion also has a right here and right now element to it of as we receive the bread and the cup, we remember the sacrifice of Christ was not just something he did, but it is something that we experience right now. And so if there is sin in your life, as, as you are convicted of that this morning, before we receive communion, you just pray a very simple prayer of, Lord, will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me of those things? And in that moment, you receive the forgiveness that the death of Christ provided. But then Paul also tells us, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so communion reminds us that Jesus died and was resurrected so that he can return. 
And so we're experiencing his kingdom now. But one day when he returns, we will experience the fullness of it with him. And all of our kingdom investments between now and then are with that goal in mind. I want to live my life where my temporary resources are used in ways that are congruent with the eternal kingdom of God that I'm called to be a part of. And when we receive communion, we're reminded I have been forgiven, I am being forgiven, and I will be forgiven. Because of Christ, there is nothing that stands between me and my place as a citizen in the kingdom of God. And so this morning, as we receive the bread and the cup, my prayer for you is it's once again a reminder you have been, are being, and will be completely and totally forgiven. You are welcomed into his kingdom as the sons and the daughters of God. There is nothing in your past that can separate you. There is nothing in your present that can keep you from him. As you pray a very simple prayer of, Lord, forgive me, and I surrender my life. You are welcomed into his kingdom. We bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Jesus, we come today thankful for an opportunity to receive communion as a reminder of what you have done and the difference it makes in our life. Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would help us today to know that we belong in your kingdom and you have made the way for us. You have forgiven us, you have saved us, and you have secured our identity in you. So now, Lord, as we take the bread and the cup, may it be a reminder to us of the life-changing power and the current presence of your Holy Spirit. Will you take the bread with me? And the cup. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.